In this episode, will Tupou Malohi get the pardon that he seeks from Fina Ulukalala? And we'll also learn a little bit about the Tongan ritual known as Hulowifi. Siyota Ofa and welcome back to the Tokyo Gamea podcast. Let's start the show. Before we continue with the story, let's do a quick recap. In the last episode, Finau Ulukalala, still residing in Wabau, receives word from Tupoto and Hapai that Tupou Malohi, his nemesis who once controlled the Nukualofa fort, that Finau blew apart with cannons several years before with the help of Mariner, is seeking refuge in Hapai. He can't seem to catch a break as he has fled from fort to fort, seeking refuge from his enemies, and for some reason or another, he was just not a good guest, so he was always put out. He ended up with Teukava of Kolovai, the chief who was previously mentioned in prior episodes of providing Kalai birds for Finau. Teukava, against the advice of his Kaumatapule, got too ambitious and raided the Nukunuku fort. He barely escaped a planned ambush, only to fall to a club upside the head, belonging to a Fijian warrior. We come to learn of a Palangi woman, an American woman from Massachusetts by the name of Elizabeth Mori, who came to Tongana ship called the Duke of Portland prior to Mariner and the Port-au-Prince. And just like the Port-au-Prince, the Duke of Portland was attacked and ransacked. Some of the crew members were able to make a getaway, but left Elizabeth, her African maid, and several others behind. This is how Tui Tui from Hawaii was able to make it to Tonga. Elizabeth eventually escaped Tonga, but returned later because, interestingly, during her time in Tonga, she became a wife to Teukava and had two sons and a daughter with him. It is not known what happened to her, as it is apparent that she was not alive or still in Tonga when Mariner arrived shortly after. Let's get caught up with the happenings with Dupo Malohi. So, going back to the book, Dupo Malohi sent word to his brother Dupo To'a, a chief of the Ha'apai Islands, that being wary of his unquiet and harassing life at Tongatapu, and being desirous to settle at Ha'apai, he wished his brother to petition the king on his behalf and to obtain, if possible, his pardon for having fought against him at Nukualofa and to procure leave for himself and his chiefs and Matapule to reside at Hapai and henceforth um, tributary to him. Okay, so um, I think I already went through this before, but just to get you all updated, uh, so Tupou Malohi, uh, an enemy to Finau Ukalala, is uh, wanting to seek refuge in the island of Hapai. And so uh, the word gets to uh, Finau Ulkalala, who's in Mava'u. Um, and so that's where we're at right now in the story. This message was brought to Tupoutoa by a chief and two young Matapules. 
Dupo Toa, having communicated this request of his brother and his followers to the king, the king, uh, this is referencing Fina Ulukalala, after a little consideration, gave his consent that they should reside at Ha'apai upon the condition that Dupo Toa would keep a strict eye upon his brother's conduct and be answerable for him, which was immediately agreed to. Tupotoa thereupon got ready a large canoe and proceeded to Hihifo to receive his brother, who came on board with all his chiefs and choice warriors. The remainder of his attendants followed afterwards in another canoe. Having touched in their way at the Ha'apai Islands, they proceeded on to Wava'u to pay their respects to Finau and receive his pardon. As soon as the king heard of their arrival at Baba'u, he repaired with all his chiefs and matapules to the house on the Malaea Neyafu, having, besides their usual dress, small mats around the middle, a taovawa, significant of its being a solemn occasion, and out of respect too, for Tupo Malohi, although he came as a humble suppliant, for he was a very great chief, superior even to Tupotoa as being his elder brother. Okay, hold up, because uh, I've seen several sources now where um, they cite that Tupo Malohi and uh, Tupo To'a were brothers. But I am looking at this genealogy. So there's a website that someone had put together, a uh, genealogy of the Tongan royal family, uh, and it goes all the way back to Aho Eitu. And so this is one of the sites I have bookmarked, and I'm going back to look at it because I think... I think I talked about this in the last episode, but I just want to clarify because I don't believe they're brothers, and let's just clarify it right now. So according to this website, um, Tupo Malohi is the son of the Tuikanokpolu 13, uh, Mumui, and his mother is Pe'e. Tupo To'a is the son of Ulukilupetea and Tuku'aho. Tuku'aho was, um, he was the one that was assassinated by Tupo Niwa and Finau Ulukalala, um, and he was the Tuikanokpolu 14. So I don't know if these Palangi researchers just weren't aware of it or if they were using, you know, the term brother like how we normally do in our uh, Tongan way because we really don't have a word for cousin. But um, apparently, uh, and it's heavily implied that Tupo Malohi and Tupo Toa were close so they could have had like a brother type relationship all right so back to the book so Tupo Malohi arrived in Mava'u and they are in the Malae at Neyafu and um, Fina Ulkalala is ready to receive them Tupo Malohi being informed that the king was already seated in the large house on the Malae and was ready to receive him he and his followers being all dressed in large mats expressive of their very great respect with leaves of the ifi tree round their necks as a mark of submission they went forth with due sentiments thus habited and accompanied by a priest to a house dedicated to taliai tupo can i just say and i know that like you know in the name of religion a lot of uh, atrocities have been committed throughout the history of mankind regardless of what religion you belong to but can i just say how empowering it is for me to um, read and to learn these actual name of Tongan gods uh, of that we actually had a religion uh, because if you read a lot of the reports from early explorers who first came to Tonga that was really one of um, I would say a 
a uh, prelude to colonization was uh, the reports written by early European explorers who claimed that we were a people with no religion. And of course, that became a driving force for colonization. Okay, back to the book. So they are uh, walking into the Malae Neafu. They are being received by Finau Ulukalala. They are uh, taken to a house dedicated to Taliai Tupo. Uh, Taliai Tupo is the god from whom the Tupo line of chiefs took their name, and they went and sat down before it. The priest then addressed the divine spirit that was supposed to reside there to the following purpose, and I quote, Here thou seest the men who have come from Tongatapu to implore thy pardon for their crimes. They have been rebels against those chiefs who hold power from divine authority, but being sorry for what they have done, they hope that thou wilt be pleased to extend thy protection towards them for the future. The priest then rose up and laid a piece of kava root under the eaves of the house, after which he proceeded towards Finau, with the suppliants all following him, one close after another in the order of their rank. Their heads bowed down and their hands clasped before them, and entering the house on the side opposite of the king, they seated themselves before him and his matapules, their hands still clasped together, and their heads bowed down almost to touch the ground. After a little time, the priest, who sat between them and the king, addressed the latter to the following purpose. You see here Tupo Malohi and his chiefs and followers, who have been to implore the pardon of Taliai Tupo, and have now come to humiliate themselves before you. Not that they expect you will pardon them after so obstinate a rebellion, but they come to endeavor to convince you of their sorrow for so great and heinous a crime. They have no expectation but to die, therefore your will be done. After a short pause, the priest again said, Pass your sentence, Finau. He then rose up and retired amongst the people. Alright, let's take this time to just um, learn more about this uh, ritual called the Hulowifi. Last week I was watching the historic apology from uh, Prime Minister Jacinda Ardern of New Zealand to the Pacific Island community of um, New Zealand because of the Dawn Raids. And those of you that are not familiar with the Dawn Raids, this was... Um, this happened back in 19 in the 70s and for those of you that live here in the USA this would be very similar to ice uh, raiding your homes and um, taking your relatives or yourself or whoever whoever is an overstayer and uh, deporting them back to wherever they came from and so it's called the dawn raids because this was done at dawn and so of course, a lot of uh, families were frightened because you never know when you are going to be the next uh, person that's going to be caught and deported. And the interesting thing I learned, uh, I didn't know about this before, but, um, you know, they were brought to New Zealand to work. And so um, after their services were no longer needed, uh, of course, a lot of them because of um, opportunities and we know how this story goes we're all immigrants here or descendants of immigrants and a lot of them stayed or they uh, what we call overstayers that happens here as well 
and um and so the government started uh rounding them up and deporting them and so finally in uh 2021 the government of new zealand issued an apology to uh, the communities that were affected by the dawn raids the interesting thing i didn't know as well is um the prime minister shared some data and so of all the people that were uh, rounded up in the dawn raids um 80 percent were pacific islander okay so these are the overstayers 80 percent of pacific islanders were rounded up and deported and only three percent i believe someone correct me if i was wrong but i was watching this live only three percent of uh overstayers from america from canada from england or maybe not england but other countries where there's a lot of palangis so palangi overstayers only three percent were rounded up and deported so this is very similar to what happens here with uh workers who come here from uh, central and south america and um and the thing that really pisses me off about this is just how you know so we focus a lot of our anger on um immigrants who come here and we claim uh, i i'm not saying we like i believe in this shit but this is the narrative that's being pushed out by conservatives here in this country and i see the same thing happening in new zealand that these people come from overseas they come here to um take jobs from uh more deserving people and of course none of that is true uh this just confirms the exploitative nature of capitalism okay a whole other topic for a whole other podcast but the reason why i bring this up is because in this uh apology that was issued by the new zealand government the uh, ceremony so the samoan ceremony of ifonga was um performed by uh the prime minister and so for those of you that are not familiar with uh, ifonga if you've seen the movie the orator um there's a very good example in there and the ifonga is similar to the huloifi uh the huloifi is an ancient tongan ritual it still goes on today i think the last time a um a public huloifi was done was in 2008 and i'll come back and talk about why that was done but basically the huloifi actually let me read this um this is a research paper it is called uh, foreigners in their own homeland an interpretive phenomenological analysis of criminal deportation and reintegration experiences by Moana Pahulu Hafoka. Uh, this was uh, done uh, when she was a student at Washington State University. But she has a very good uh, summary here of what Huloifi is. And I'll also drop uh, this paper uh, in the resource share folder with you all. But uh, to quote from the paper, the ancient ceremony called the Huloifi allowed for the offending party to seek peace and forgiveness from those they have offended. The Huloifi ceremony is still carried out today in instances of serious but not necessarily criminal offenses. This ceremony displays humility, submission, peace, and forgiveness. In this ceremony, members of the offender's family will wear leaves of the chestnut tree, which in Tongan we call Ifi, I-F-I, which represents humility before the person who has been offended. The Ifi were used for underground earth ovens in the traditional way of cooking. 
and the duty of cooking was performed by lower-ranking people. Therefore, daifi signified humility, as well as submission to plead for forgiveness. A supply of traditional gifts and materials, including tapa, handwoven mats, and plant foods, is offered to the offended person. So the last time the huloifi was performed publicly was in 2008, when uh, the village of Tatakamotonga they uh, convened and they decided to do a huloifi um, ceremony. Because during the riots in uh, Nukualofa in 2006, uh, one of the king's uh, private homes was burnt down in uh, Tatakamotonga. And then the other uh, time a huloifi was performed in our modern times was during um, Queen Salote's reign when a huloifi was done for the death of one of her attendants. So in ancient times, just like the um, Ifonga in Samoa, uh, the offending party would have to sit with their loifi, whatever it is that they're wearing, in the hot sun. And sometimes they could be sitting there for days until they receive a uh, forgiveness from the party that was offended. Once the huloifi is accepted, the shame of the people is lifted. Though the huloifi is not a common practice ritual anymore, the Tongan people still seek other ways to remove shame placed on them as a result of bad or defiant behavior. Okay, I'll, uh, like I said before, I'll share this paper in our shared drive. So um, look for that. Uh, there's more information on there. It's actually a really good paper about um, deportees. So let's uh, get back to the story. I apologize for all the detours, but uh, it's always nice to find uh, information that can give us more context to this ritual so that we can really understand how important it is. Okay, so back to the book. In a little time, Finau said to the suppliants, Tukwe lo ifi, take off the ifi leaves, which is a sign of pardon, of which command they took no notice, as if unwilling to believe so great a mercy was shown to them. Finau again said, Tukwe lo ifi, upon which each took off their ifi leaves, but they all remained in the same posture. Before we go further, it must be observed that there were vacant places left among Finau's chiefs and Matapules, for Tupo Malohi and his principal followers, who were of sufficient rank, to be called after they had received their pardon. But for a great chief, circumstanced as was Tupo Malohi, to obey his summons, which is always pronounced by the Matapule sitting next to Finau, would neither be so respectful nor so prudent as to remain where he was and to take notice of it, as if altogether unworthy of being so exalted. While a chief of less noble rank would not hesitate to obey the command and take the seat appointed for him. All this is done upon the principle that a great chief, so offending, ought to keep himself as humble as possible, lest having great power and authority, he might be suspected of intentions to equalize himself with his superiors, and ultimately to revolt. Whereas minor chiefs having but little power, as not liable to excite jealousies, besides which these minor chiefs, being governed by their superior, are thought to be less criminal than he who leads them astray by his authority. 
This formed a subject of dispute beforehand amongst the company. Some thought that Dupomalohi would instantly obey the order to take his appointed seat, conscious of his exalted rank, and fearless of the jealousy of Finau. The greater part, however, were of opinion that he would remain where he was, knowing well the revengeful disposition of the Hau, that's referring to Finau, and his promptitude to sacrifice those whom he suspected. In a little time, this matter was put out of dispute. The Matapule on Finau's right hand exclaimed aloud, Tupo Malohi, here is a place for you. The chief seemed not to hear the summons, keeping his head bowed to the earth. The Matapule called out again, Tupo Malohi, here is a place for you. But his ears were still shut, and he preserved the same humble posture. The Matapule said to the others successfully, and mentioning their names in the order of their rank, here is a place for you. And they accordingly seated themselves as their names were called in the places appointed for them, leaving Tupomalohi seated by himself in the middle of the ring. Kava was now prepared and served out to the company, each in his turn according to his rank, not excepting Tupomalohi, who in this case was served the fourth. When the kava was presented to him, he neither took it nor raised up his head, but speaking to somebody who sat a little behind him, that person stretched his arm forward and receiving it for him, took it away reserving it for Tupomalohi to drink after the kava party should be dissolved. The company having finished their kava dispersed, and Tupomalohi retired to take his. This chief and his followers remained at Vava'u about a fortnight before they sailed to the Ha'apai Islands, during which time he entertained Finau with an account of different transactions at Dongatapu, relating what conspiracies had been devised, what battles had been fought, what brave chiefs and warriors had fallen. Every time he mentioned the death of a hero, Finau struck his breast with his fist, exclaiming, what a warrior has fallen in a useless war or something to that purpose. Before Tupomalohi and his chiefs took their departure, Finau repeated his orders to Tupotoa to keep a watchful eye upon them and to give him the earliest information if he discovered any symptoms of conspiracy, for he said he expected something of the kind as they were all choice warriors and had been well experienced at the Fiji Islands. What? That that seemed a little racist. Okay, so that uh, we're going to end that chapter right here uh, because the next chapter is actually a very long one and I don't want to start it and having to stop in the middle of the chapter. So I just want to keep it all consistent. So uh, I know this is a short episode, but hopefully you will take the time to also read some of the resources that I dropped in the share folder for the podcast and for those of you who are unaware of that um, just go to uh, the instagram page for the uh, podcast and there is a link there where you can access all the information and like i said before i will also add the documents that um, i referenced today um, and let's talk about rank because i think uh, one of the things that was very interesting in this last chapter is that we see that, you know, for sure, Finau Ulukalala is, uh, his domain is Ha'apai and also Vava'u. 
And yes, Dupo Malohi, though uh, his one-time enemy, is seeking refuge in Hapai. But even in this ritual of Ahulowifi, rank is still observed and is still honored. And so that's I thought that was really cool. Another interesting thing that I um, caught on to when I was doing my uh, research for this episode and even last week's episode is uh, it, it dawned on me that Tupo To'a, who has been um, appointed by um, Fina Ulkalala to watch, pretty much watch Ha'apai for him, okay? It, it just dawned on me that Tupo To'a would eventually... Actually, not eventually. He already is. At this time, he's already the father to Taufa Hao Tupo, who would eventually become King Xiaosi Tupo I. He was born in 1797, and Mariner arrived in Tonga in 1806. And at this point in the book, we are looking at 1809. So uh, Taufa Hao Tupo was about 12 years old maybe a teenager so we are like creeping up into the modern era of Tonga at this point so I just thought that was really cool something to give us a point of reference as far as time is concerned so I'm just so excited to think that he was alive during this time and he would eventually become the person who unites all of Tonga so pretty cool Okay, that's it for this episode. Thank you so much for tuning in. I appreciate all of you. Ofatu to everyone who is listening from all different parts of the world. I am just so amazed when I go look at the data to see like where all the listeners are coming from. And um, it just really makes me feel very humbled that you are all um, joining me on this little Fagamuna project that I put together uh last year and that you all still hung with me even after i took a year off anyway um i just want to do one final psa before i log out so um i know those of you that are in new zealand you're probably pretty safe because you have a very good government there who has kept you safe from covid 19 but for those of you that are listening here in the usa especially from our own tongan Pacific Islander community, please get the vaccine um, and protect yourself and protect your family. Okay. Uh, This week, uh, just today would be the fourth funeral of people that I know. And these are young people. These are like people my age or younger who are dying from uh, COVID-19 and they were all unvaccinated. And so I don't care what your politics are or all the research you've done on YouTube and Facebook. But here's the facts. Our people are dying. Our people are filling up hospital beds again. And so just a um, plea for all of you to please get the vaccine and protect your families. Okay. If you don't care for yourself, at least do it for your families. All right. Take care of yourselves. And again, thank you for tuning in and we will see you next week.